So um, I don't know if you know, but I have been working for the past few months um, since September with a group of interns. They are young people, they're 18 years old, they're called Discipleship Year. And the idea is that they uh, learn how to serve in church and they're kind of taught on a Wednesday as well. We have teaching for them and they're mentored and it's a way of really helping them to grow in their relationship with God um, and sort of discern um, where he's calling them um, in their lives. And um, it's been great, actually. I've loved working with them and um, sort of making that journey with them. And we've had a couple of weekends where we've gone away together and met with the National Discipleship Year group, which is over 100 of these young people. And we went in January, and we were, um, one of the sessions was about um, what are we going to do next year? Because that's the big question that all of them have got. They don't know what they want to do next year, and they want to hear the Lord, they want to get it right. And uh, one of ours was, was talking to us the, the next week and saying, it's great because I think I heard God speak to me that weekend. I think the same town kept coming up over and over again. People mentioned it. I bumped into people from there. It was mentioned in the talks. And this person was getting, I think this might be what God is saying. That might be where I need to go and study. And he thought... That was God speaking to him, and we were excited for him. We were going, yeah, God is showing you for the next, um, next season of your life. And then the following week, we were meeting together, and we were saying, how are you doing? How's it going? And this young person said, I got a rejection from that university, the one that I thought God was saying, that's where I should go. I don't understand. I, I thought I'd heard God what does that mean? How do you cope with that, you know? And it was a great question. It was a really helpful subject to start talking about. And we found ourselves talking together, all four of us. Questions like, does God really have a clear plan for each one of us? Is it a roadmap for each of us? And we've got to figure it out. Um, or is that not right? We just kind of make up our own choices and ask God to bless it. Or maybe there's lots of different routes, but the destination is clear. Maybe we need to know where God's calling us, but it doesn't matter how we get there. And what are the signs we should be looking for? Was that king? Or was that just a coincidence, maybe? And what if we get it wrong? What if we just completely miss what God is saying? Is there, is there a plan B? Well, God bless me. Do we need direction in every little decision? Is it, who shall I have for supper next week? Is that a question we should be asking God? Does he guide us? Does he want us to ask him about that? And as we were talking, I found myself thinking, this is... A tricky subject. It really is a tricky subject. I was looking back over all the years I've been walking with Jesus, and it's probably more than 40 now. Um, and I was thinking, you know what? I still don't think I'm very good at this. I still don't think I've got this sussed. Um, every time I come to a big crossroads in my life, I sort of think, oh, no, I've got to 
ask God again. I've got to listen to God. And what if I get it wrong? What if I can't hear him? Even my past guidance success stories won't help me this time. It might be different this time. God might speak in a different way. Um, And every time it's different. And as I was thinking about that and our topic for tonight, prayer for direction, it reminded me that um, there is no formula for this. Um, It's not, um, there's no technique that we can get and then we've got it sussed and we know how to hear God's guidance. It doesn't work like that. The whole thing is about relationship. It's not about technique. It's about relationship. And God is not like a slot machine. We pop the questions in and then tap it and out comes the answer. That's not how it works. We know that. But I think we so easily find ourselves tempted back into that way of thinking. Well, I certainly do. We might think that the Bible, of course, is our guideline, and it is indeed our guideline for life and making decisions. But in fact, it doesn't always tell us those kind of answers, does it? It tells us the big picture, tells us how we should go about things, and it tells us certain things, but it doesn't tell us which job to take. It doesn't tell us who to marry. It doesn't tell us where to live. If we quarrel with somebody, it's very clear what we do. We know that we don't gossip. We don't talk about that person or about that. We know that we have to forgive. We know we have to put things right. But on these big decisions that we need to make, it's not always clear in the Bible. But of course, the Bible is pointing us to said that he is the way. And we can only work out the right way in relationship to him. Now, that's all a long introduction to the fact that this psalm is the psalm of David, it says. It says it's um, David's prayer to the Lord for guidance. And we know a little bit about David, don't we? He was the most incredible king. He was the one that got it right the most. He was the one who who was a man after God's heart. So let's have a look at some of the ways that he prayed in this psalm. Because I think they will help us in our attitudes, the right attitudes towards um, how we pray for guidance. Won't give us the answers necessarily um, in detail, but what it will do is we'll get our hearts in the right place so that we can discern what God is saying. One of the examples um, that he was king when he was um, having one of those many battles he had, and it was a question. He said to the Lord, uh, should I go and attack the Philistines? And the Lord came back and said, yes, Go up in the tank. And the Lord gave him specific instructions. You know, route them this way, don't go that way. 
all of those wonderful instructions, and I found myself thinking, wouldn't that be amazing if God spoke to me just like that? Um, every day, don't go there, go here, don't call him, call her. Wouldn't that be easy? Wouldn't that be great if it was like that? Well, it was like that in quite a lot of David's life. But he was a man after the Lord's own heart. He was so close to God. And so let's have a look at some of the attitudes that he had um, as he prayed this prayer. Um, I've got a few. I think there's four attitudes I want to look at this evening. The first one is surrender. The very first verse says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. That's how he began. And what that speaks to me of is um, opening up um, his heart to the Lord and holding nothing back. It's actually a great place to begin every day with. We could ask, Lord, what is your plan for me? Lead me where you want me to be. Show me what you want to do or say. How could I be a blessing today to those I work with, to those I live with? And of course, Jesus was our supreme example in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was wrestling with that thing that he knew God had called him to do. And he didn't want to do it, but he said, not my will, but yours, Lord. But if we're not willing to surrender our plans in favor of God's, we'll not discern the path that he has for us. We have to let go of our agenda in order to discern God's agenda. I don't know about you, but sometimes, if I'm honest, I don't really want God's plan quite as much as my own plan. We have rebellious hearts, like David says in verse 7, forgive my rebellious ways. But we want to want to, mostly, don't we? We want to want God's plan rather than our plan and if we see ourselves in that place the best way to to deal with that is through repentance lord i'm sorry i'm sorry that i don't really want your will as much as my own forgive me lord sorry will in my life, one of the big decisions, we've had to make quite a few through Tim's job of moving to a completely different place, doing a completely different job, living in a different house. I mean, all of it goes together for us, maybe for some of you too. But um, one time we were living in Hampshire. Tim mentioned it this morning, actually. We were living in a, a rural place in a village just outside Basingstoke, and Tim wasn't enjoying the job that much, but I was hating it. I was really hating it. And so um, we began to pray, Lord, what is next? Please take us somewhere else. This is too hard. Um, and for me, it was a place of loneliness, really. Um, Tim was traveling a lot, and I was on my own a lot in this <clears throat> small village. And we weren't in a local church either. That was... The, the, the job that Tim had been called to do. Anyway, we started to pray, Lord, what's next? Show us the next thing. Where can we go next? And Tim, we were praying for some opportunities for Tim to apply for new jobs. And um, for a new job, 
it didn't come about. He didn't either get shortlisted or we didn't, he didn't get offered the job. And it was a long, painful process because we were both desperate to move. But as I prayed about it, as I talked to the Lord on my lonely walks backwards and forwards to Schoolgate, I, um, I found the Lord really begin to challenge me and to really say to me, do you really want what I want for your life? Or is it just your own comfort that you want right now? And if I was honest, I realized that I was just so uncomfortable there. I was in a, like a fish out of water. It wasn't, wasn't me at all. And it was really painful. But as I wrestled with it, I found myself eventually coming to a place of surrender and saying, okay, it's okay, Lord. Teach me what you want to teach me here. I'll just, I'll just go with it. And it was quite a, a long process. But when I got to that place of surrender, that's when God opened the next door and gave us a way out, gave us a way into a new ministry. And I really, I remember very clearly the day that we left that particular ministry and they had a wonderful goodbye to us and lots of people were sharing testimonies because God, of course, was working regardless of how I was feeling. And um, people were sharing testimonies and it, I'd been so miserable. I think I'd been a bit of a misery the whole time I was there. But I suddenly felt God propel me from my seat to give a testimony and I, 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 I don't know why I like this, but God has transformed me into something else through surrender. So looking back on that now, I'm so grateful, so thankful for those five years that were really tough um, because I believe that I wouldn't be the person that I am. I wouldn't have that relationship with God that I do have now if it hadn't been for that. So surrender is one of those attitudes that we need to adopt. Humility is the second one. Verse 9, it says, He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. Humility is admitting that God is Lord and I am not. His ways are higher than our ways and he knows all things. And it reminded me of Psalm 95. A beautiful psalm where it talks about we're just the sheep of his hand. That beautiful sheep that is just willing to go where the shepherd leads. They don't know where to go, but the shepherd knows. That's the kind of attitude I believe the Lord wants us to have. That humility of not saying, I know everything, I know what to do, but Lord, you do, and I'm willing to go your way. We live in a culture, don't we, where independence is really applauded. That's great. But I don't think that's part of God's kingdom. I think God's kingdom applauds humility. So how do we know if we're being independent? I think independence manifests itself by realizing that we're not asking God enough about decisions we're just using our logic and our brains and our experience, maybe. And I, I'm guilty of that all the time. All the time, I make decisions in my work. 
and I haven't prayed and I haven't said, Lord, is this your, your will for me? Sometimes I make decisions about holidays. I make decisions about what I'm going to do with my time. And I haven't sought the Lord. I haven't said, Lord, you know what's best. Show me your way. The third attitude is trust. Verse 2. In you I trust, O oh my God, when things don't work out the way I'd hoped. When I didn't get that job, when the house sale falls through, when the test results are not what we wanted. Loving and faithful. We can trust him. He is loving and faithful always. I remember when I was a new Christian, and I read all those exciting books about missionaries going abroad, preaching the gospel, and I found them really exciting, but I didn't like it when um, some of those missionaries were tortured. Some of them were martyred for doing that. And I found myself thinking, don't, don't fancy that. Don't fancy that. I'm not going to give my all and trust God just in case he asked me to do something like that. That would be awful. I don't think I could do that. But I hadn't realized, of course, how much God loves me and how much his grace is sufficient for what he asks us to do. I hadn't realized then what an incredible father he is, the one who knows how to give good gifts to his children. So what do I say to my DY student? I've certainly got it wrong myself in the past. I thought God was saying a certain thing, but it didn't work out. Maybe God was saying it would be good for me, but not always is God's will done. So sometimes I think God is showing you something. He is showing us something that might be good for us, but it may not work out. Maybe that's what happened for my DUI student, I don't know. What I do know is that whether it works or not, all things work together for good, because that's God's promise to us in Romans 8.28. <clears throat> In verse 15, um, David says, My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare. And that reminded me of in the New Testament, where in Hebrews we get, Fix your eyes on Jesus. And that reminded me of Peter walking on the water. He fixed his eyes on Jesus, and so long as his eyes were on Jesus, he could walk on the water. As soon as his eyes were taken off Jesus, he saw the wind and the waves and he began trusting God, but then we take our eyes off and we need to look back as Peter did and Jesus lifted him out of the wind and the waves. Paul 
Quite often we do that, don't we? We start off trusting God. We've got our eyes on him, but somehow in the middle of it all, it doesn't quite work out. We lose focus. How do we know we've lost focus? Well, I think we know we've lost focus when we start getting anxious. We start getting stressed and all the details of the circumstances become huge in our minds. I've learned how to deal with that now. It's, I'm much quicker than I used to be at recognizing stress and anxiety because it's caused by not trusting God. It's caused by allowing fear to, to take over. And it's very easy to deal with. We do deal with it through forgiveness and repentance. Asking God to forgive us and saying, Lord, I do trust you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to get back out, out of the water. I'm going to fix my eyes on you. That's what I believe David did. Jude <clears throat> of David is fear of God. He will instruct him in the way chosen for him. In verse 14, the Lord confides in those who fear him. So fearing the Lord seems to be one of those things that we, we need to do if we're going to be guided by God. I don't think that means fear as I just described when the wind and the waves are um, lashing around us. That, not that kind of fear. This kind of fear is that awesome God kind of, oh my goodness, type of fear. It's recognizing and respecting God for who he is. It seems as if that kind of awe is part of the attitude that's needed to hear and receive God's guidance. It really means we're, we're saying we want to please God more than myself. We want to please God more than other people. He is number one. And in verse 4, me, in your truth, he wants to please God more than anything else. And a way we might pray, if we were wanting to pray that, would be asking God, how can I please you today? How can I please you with my gifts? How can I please you with my time? How can I please you with my resources? Because they're not mine, they're yours. And we've learned in the last few years also to ask the Lord about things like big decisions, little decisions, like how, to spend, how we're going to spend our money. Rather than just booking that holiday, we'll just say, let's pray. Let's just see if God is okay with that. And one time we've, we felt, no, that isn't what God wants us to do. We wanted to do it, but we didn't think God wanted us to do it. Other times, most of the time, we just say, Lord, is that okay? We recently bought a new car. Big spend. Is that okay, Lord? Do you want us to do that? Asking God's guidance, preferring his will in every decision. God guided David through all sorts of challenges and difficulties. He got direction as a result of his close relationship 
with him. Relationship, not a intimacy, spending time with him. So if we're facing a big life decision or a big crossroads, I think what we learn from this passage, from this psalm, is that we need to spend more time with him, make space to be with the Lord. But we pray and we wait for God to reveal his plan. Tim was talking this morning about the law of sowing and reaping. And he said that when you sow, you don't reap straight away. There's a time lag. And I think it's the same in prayer, especially prayer for guidance. We pray, we pray, we ask, we wait, we seek. And then in God's timing, we receive the answers, the direction, the path that he wants us to take. I find sometimes that I need someone else to help me on that process. And sometimes I ask friends to join me in praying when it's a big decision that I need to make. Sometimes I might fast. Sometimes I might journal and write down what I feel God is saying. But however you do it, however you draw close to God, however you deepen your intimacy with him, that is what we see David doing in this psalm. As he seeks the Lord for guidance, as he seeks that closeness with God, he can be, he's confident that when he comes to the next decision, the next separation of paths, um, God is going to make it clear. And that, I, I believe, is absolutely the, the, the same thing for us. We can trust him. We can take these attitudes and put them into practice as we pray. The attitude of surrender, the attitude of humility, the attitude of trust, and the attitude of fearing the Lord. So just bring our, our big decisions, our small decisions, the direction of our lives before the Lord together. Heavenly Father, we confess that sometimes, Lord, we try to do things in our own way. We're independent and we don't seek you. And Lord, we ask for your forgiveness. We ask for your forgiveness when we treat you like a slot machine, expecting the answers to come popping out. We don't spend that time waiting on you. Forgive us, Lord, and cleanse us. We come back to you again this evening. We know that you are the most amazing, loving, heavenly Father who has good plans for your children. And we pray that as we draw close to you, you will draw close to us, Lord, again. That you will lead us in those big decisions and in those small ones, closely to walk with you, that we might please you in every way.
And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.